and join me in the book of 2 Peter. If you need a Bible, there's a red one in front of you there in the pew. You go ahead and open that with us. And we're going to begin a series through this small little letter, this small little book written by Peter, and just be reminded of God's plan for you and me once we give our life to Christ. Second Peter, written shortly after the first letter, placing it somewhere around 65 A.D., it's written in what's called the latter part of Nero's reign. So First Peter, we, uh, we went through it and we called it Stand. And it was about being a Christian and the church, uh, get ready for troubling, persecuting times is coming, but stand. Stand in your faith, stand on the solid rock of Christ and, and be ready. God will help you through this. It was timely because we're living in days unlike any other days we've ever known. If I were not a Christian and I watched the news on a daily basis, I would be scared to death. If I were not a Christian, I would think that evil has won. If I were not a Christian, folks, I would be placing faith in myself just for my family to survive. But Peter's writing to believers. And when we look at this passage this morning, even as we begin to make the transaction or the transition into 2 Peter, he goes from standing in tough times to identifying some characteristics that should be familiar in a Christian's life. Here, here it is. What does a Christian look like? I mean, if we were to put you on the stand this morning in front of the judge and the courtroom, what would a Christian look like? Listen to me. Would there be enough evidence if you were on trial this morning to convict you of being a believer? You say, well, Brother Greg, I look like a believer. What, what does a believer look like? What does a believer look like? And the Word of God has a lot more to say about what a believer looks like on the inside than what comes out of the outside, amen? Oh, we've changed so much. Yesterday, Renee joined me in, in, the, in the club. 60 years old. And listen, I just had a good word from her. She just left. They're releasing her mom home. Amen. Amen. What that looks like from this point on, folks, I'm telling you, they're taking it like many of you day by day and just celebrate the day rather than looking forward or looking ahead and not knowing what's going to happen. But praise the Lord for that. But, but uh, hey, she joined, she joined the club. But I can assure you, when we got married, she, wasn't, she didn't marry this. She married an athletic. Go ahead and laugh, young people. She married an athlete who exercised and had a lot of energy and, and, could, and could stay up late and get up early, and, and now it's like the 180 of that. But we all change on the outside. But I'm telling you, as a Christian, this is becoming one of my favorite old songs. You ready? Every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. Why? Because we know that God's going to wrap up all of this evil one day, and he's given us an opportunity called life 
who accept him. And as we have been awakened once again this week with tragedy, none of us know when God will call us home. So in 2 Peter, he's writing about characteristics of the Christian life. And I begin with verse 1. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. So the author is being identified. To those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The audience is being identified. The reader is being identified. The recipient is being identified. Peter is writing and continuing to write to believers. And I love the fact to those who have obtained like precious faith. And where does that come? It comes only through Jesus Christ. Now, when you look at this verse, make sure we don't get something cloudy this morning. Don't get the wrong assumption in the second part of verse 1. To those who have obtained. I'm not sure that's the best translation here. When we think of obtaining something, we think of something we can acquire, something that we can make happen, something that we do. The New Testament, better translated here in the Greek, is receiving. All, to those who have received, like precious faith. It's the idea, listen, that a lot has already been cast. Something has already been determined. When you give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, we've already been reminded that it's all about him. It's what he did for us. It's not about us somehow meriting our way to heaven. And sometimes we get confused with what a Christian looks like because we think it's about what we are doing. I remind you this morning, you don't work your way to Calvary. You don't work your way to the cross. You work from the cross. You can't do anything to, to, to obtain salvation, but because you're saved, you serve the Lord. Because you're saved, you live for Jesus. Because you're saved... You exhibit the fruit of the Spirit, characteristics of what a Christian really looks like. Folks, this is why the world is so confused, because Christianity looks so different in some people. Now, Christianity isn't a bunch of rules you keep. Remember, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If you break one commandment, you've broken them all. But Christianity is about a relationship with a God who loved you more than anything, came into this world born of a virgin, lived a perfect, sinless life, and then willingly laid down his life on the cross. Listen, not so you could obtain salvation, but because you could receive what he did for you. So he's writing to believers, and, and he continues on. As a matter of fact, look in your outline and just do, jot the first thought down. The common thread for any Christian is that we're saved by the righteousness of Jesus. Amen? Jesus. Only Jesus, what we've sung about this morning. And it's not our righteousness. The Bible says 
all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. Do we have any mechanics in the room this morning? Uh, listen, you don't have to be a, a, a vocational mechanic. If you think you're a mechanic, raise your hand. Thank you, Bruce. Left field, got one here, Dan. Right field, okay, got a few over here. Uh, you all understand this. Mechanics have what's called shop rags. You guys know what I'm talking about? Let me, define, let me describe, a, a, for me, a typical shop rag. It's reddish pink color. And it's not something you throw away when it gets dirty. You just put it somewhere where you know where it's at the next time you need it. Now, if you're with me so far, say amen. The Bible says our righteousness is as a filthy rag. It's a filthy rag. It's useless. It can't do anything to clean us up. And, and sometimes we act like, Lord, I'm going to church on this cold end of January day. Praise the Lord. We had 90 at 8.30 this morning. Isn't that crazy? And here you are, and, and, and we have the privilege to worship the Lord. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. What do you mean, Brother Greg? You're not going to heaven because you're in church. We're in church because we get to worship the Lord who loves us more than anything, who created us for his glory, who created me for a purpose, and that purpose was to be saved and tell other people about him. Our righteousness is a filthy rag. But that's not all the Bible has to say about righteousness. Psalm 17, 7, I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness, and I'll sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. Psalm 31, 1, in you, O Lord, I put my trust. Let me never be ashamed. Deliver me in your righteousness. Now, mark your Bible here and flip back to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. Just go back a few chapters. Romans chapter 3. Now, I believe the Lord is warming us up this morning. Anybody, anybody think that, man, I, it, it is cold outside. I've been cold. Maybe my spirit feels lukewarm. Maybe my spirit feels cold. But I believe the Lord's warming us up because he continues to reaffirm this thing that our righteousness is only in Christ. Chapter 3, verse 21. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. How many of you have that marked in your Bible? Raise your hand. Listen, if you want to share Christ with somebody, the first thing someone has to understand is that we're all in the same boat. We're separated from God. And because of that, if this is heaven, we're never going to get there because of our sin. We're going, to try, we're going to try, we're going to try. Listen, our righteousness is not enough. We need, we need help. And Paul is reminding us of that. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that it is in Christ Jesus whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood. That word means that what God had to have, Jesus fulfilled. God's requirement was met in Jesus and his death, burial, and resurrection. 
to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Go back to 2 Peter. So the Bible reminds us it's his righteousness. Romans 6.18, and having been set from sin, you become slaves of righteousness. Meaning a characteristic of a Christian is when you're saved, listen, you chase Jesus, not the world. The things of God, not the things of Satan. Boy, how many times have we heard this uh, and, and has this question been asked over the past few days? Why did this happen? And folks, I'm telling you, there's a real devil and there's real evil. And I praise the Lord that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And while we may never know the why of this tragedy in our community and this family in life, I know one thing. There is a who that I can trust, and it's Jesus. Our righteousness is in Christ Jesus. Romans 10.3, For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have never submitted to the righteousness of God. Psalm 37, 25, I love this. I love this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this in two parts. When I say I have been old, I want you to shout, or I'm sorry, I messed it up. When I have been young, when I've been young, I want you to shout amen. And then when I say when I have been old, I want you to shout amen. Now, I want to ask you, are you, in? Are you going to help me? Are you in? Okay, I, I sense you are. Left field, are you in? Okay. Left center, right center, right, are you in? Okay, here we go. When I have been young and when I have been old. You ready? Psalm 37, 25. I have been young and I have, now I am old. Let me do it again. I have been young and now I am old. Listen to what the Bible says. Yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken. My righteousness is in Christ Jesus. And the common thread for any Christian is that we are saved by Christ and Christ alone. Verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. How do you multiply the goodness of God? I mean, how do you add to what God is? How do you make God better? Well, you can't. But you can multiply the testimony of God in this world by your life and glorifying God to the point of pointing people to Jesus. Now, uh, I don't know why, I, I'm, I'm on a kick right now of using golf illustrations, okay? Uh, I've been playing golf for almost 40 years, and I really don't think I'm any much better than I was 40 years ago. But a few years ago, and there's all kinds of stuff to make you better. A few years ago, Renee bought me something called a golf buddy, a GPS system to clip on my belt and no matter where I was on the course, it was going to tell me how far I was away, what club I need to use, 
where the bunkers were, where the 150 marker is. Uh, it, it had all of that stuff, front of the green, middle of the green, back of the green. I thought, well, man, my, my golf game's just going to soar now. Look out world, right? And, uh, and nothing's really changed, really, other than me looking like I might know what I'm doing. Nothing's really changed when it comes to execution. But here's what I want you to think about, this golf buddy GPS. When I get out at a golf course and turn it on, I don't have to find the course, John. There's a satellite that finds it for me. It finds me. It finds where I'm at. And I'm telling you, there is a God who loves you, knows where you're at, knows what you need, and can zero in right on target in the center of your heart. What are you saying, Brother Greg? Well, if he's writing Christians and he wants to multiply the gospel and the message, he's not only found you, he knows you, he loves you, he wants to use you. Number two, God desires for us to live out what he's provided for you and in you. He wants us to live out what's inside of us. He doesn't want us to come to church and just sit and get a bunch of information and gather it and walk out the door and say, I've got a bunch of information. I know more than you do. Or I think I, I, I know more than you do. God wants us to let out what's on the inside. He wants us to live for him. An unknown author wrote these words. You write a sermon, a chapter, a day by the deeds that you do and the words that you say. Men read what you write, whether false or true. So what is the gospel according to you? Characteristics of a believer. A life of godliness. A life of faith. Now, I think we all uh, would understand that in life here, as I look out over our church congregation, see where we've been and what we're going through, Many, many of us have hurt to the point where you can't breathe. The Bible doesn't promise that when you give your life to Christ, everything's easy. The Bible says in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, has, does not say anything about being easy. It does say, I will be there for you. I'll walk with you. We've received grace. That's a characteristic of a believer. You've received grace. And if it's to be lived out, if the gospel is to be multiplied, then you have to pay the grace forward. You have to pass it forward. Have you ever paid for anybody's meal? Kelly started this big thing for the church a while back, you know, when you're in the drive-thru. And you guys know what I'm talking about in the drive-thru. It's, it's busy. You're not sure which side to go to. Renee told me recently, you know, or, or Wendy Mann said, you know, when it comes to a line, theory is people go right. So I thought, I'm going to use that in a drive-thru. I went left, and I sat there and watched people in right just keep going through. But you all know what I'm talking about. We get to that point, should I go, should I go, and then it comes your turn. But wait a minute, their tires are moving, their cars move. What, what should I do? I'll, I'll do the Christian thing and back up and wait. And then you realize there's a four-wheel drive that's coming now, and, and, and you're thinking, okay, okay. I really have no clue why I started that. Pay it forward. Thank you for a, a merciful church. 
pay it forward. And then we got to the point where, hey, I'm gonna pay for the person's meal behind me. So what I do is I look, I don't look for a minivan. I don't look for the Hokemobile. I look for maybe a senior adult by themselves. And I go up to her or, the, or he and you know, say, I'd like to pay for that person. And folks, I can't tell you how many times somebody has paid for my meal. When you give your life to Jesus Christ, the least we can do is be a giver and pay it forward. And just say, you know what? I'm not rich by any means, but I can tell you that I received the greatest gift I ever received, and if God can use me and use you to help somebody else along the life, this path of life, praise the Lord. You see, grace is something to be passed forward, but it's also a time for you to reach back and bring somebody with you. Now, statistics say that most high school students, once they graduate, they leave the church for several years. And people want to blame the church, saying you didn't do your job. Now, don't use that cop out with me. Adults have to make their own decisions. Listen to me. You don't have to sow wild oats. Spare yourself some heartache and keep your eyes on Jesus. And trust him and be reminded that it's his righteousness any, anyway. It's his gift that keeps me saved. And he has a promise for me and he does it through his own power. Look at verse 3. As his divine power has given to us, listen, all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his glory and virtue. His divine power gives us all things because of his great love for us. You might be here today and, and you're thinking, I can't do anything. I can't, I can't do anything. Well, I, I really can't. My preacher friends are carpenters and mechanics and accountants and they're skilled at something. And I'm thinking, what would I, well, Renee, if I got fired, what would I do? You guys think of that before you fire me, okay? What would I do? I guess I could go fishing with somebody. You know, he's given us all things. And he's brought this group of, you ready? Misfits. That's really who we are. I mean, we're dysfunctional. Oh, quit smiling and nodding your heads. We are, though, are we not? And God brings us together and says, listen, the common thread is my righteousness. The common thread is my power that will give you all things. And Peter is writing and saying, listen, if you're worried about living a Christian life, quit trying to do it all yourself and let God do it through you. I mean, what has he given us? Uh, I love verse 4. By which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. If any man's in Christ, he's a new creature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Number three, the Christian life is about growing as a believer. It's about growing as a believer. We call this sanctification. 
It means to be set apart, but it means to be gradually moving, to be gradually growing in our faith. And when you look at verses five through eight, you see this progression that takes place. I, I love this. I love this. He says, but also, verse five, for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. Be an example. And to virtue, knowledge. Grow, learn. To knowledge, self-control. Apply what you learn. What are you saying, Brother Greg? I'm saying don't sit here on Sunday and act like you love Jesus and go to work tomorrow and act like the devil. Don't sit at some restaurant this afternoon and because your food's a little slow, act like the devil. Folks, I don't know if you know this or not, but everybody's short. Everybody's short. Everybody's looking for help. Instead, act like Jesus and show some grace and maybe tip them more than you thought you would. Why? Because everybody's trying to make things work. And I don't know about you, it's like people are juggling. We juggle sometimes at church. I mean, spinning the plates. Only by the grace of God will you not quit. Adversity does some things. Faith Foresight said, adversities do not make the man or woman either weak or strong, but they reveal what they are. Robert Layton said, adversity is the diamond dust heaven polishes its jewels with. That God uses it, and he uses it for his glory. So when you look at uh, this progression to self-control, verse 6, perseverance. You know what that is? Patience. Patience. To perseverance, self-control. To perseverance, godliness. Verse 7. To godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. Jesus said, they'll know you're my disciples by your love for each other. Amen? By your love for each other. Yesterday, I had the privilege to watch a ball game that I really wish life would be like this ball game. It wasn't a varsity game. It wasn't a reserve game. It wasn't a freshman game. It was a peewee game. It was a peewee game. I had two players on the team that I was interested in, and uh, Gentry uh, Cottle was playing against our team. And Jordy, the youngest, is really only on the team because his dad's the coach. And he's the littlest guy on the floor, but boy, he looked good. I mean, he would run up that court. He'd turn around, run back down the court. He could have cared less where the ball was, who had it, I mean, he was guarding his guy when he was on offense. And I thought, oh, this is fun. Old Gentry came down the court once, got up after getting knocked down, looked at his fan section, and waved, thumbs up. And I thought, that's the way life should be. That's the way life should be. We get knocked down, we stand up, and we point to the Lord. Say, man, that hurt, but there's somebody who's picking me up again. And again, and again, and again, and his name's Jesus. Self-control. Let me tell you something. Write this down. Married couples, write this down. Sometimes 
the person who needs it the most lives with you and they receive it the least. You understand what I'm saying? Your family needs it the most and we take it for granted. Sometimes we don't ever say the words. We don't ever act like it. We take it for granted and they may receive it the least. What? Self-control. Brotherly kindness, Jesus said, they'll know you're my disciples by your love for one another, and that leads to love. Verse 9. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness. He can't see it. And has forgotten, here's the why, has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sin. When you give your life to Jesus Christ, listen, don't you ever get over it. You know, some people say, well, I just cry every time I think. Don't you ever get over that. Don't you ever get over the fact that life is short. Let me tell you something, folks. Tears are the price we pay to love. It's called grief. And it's natural. It's natural. And I'm telling you, this week we have seen every stop of grief. It's a journey. It's a journey. After the teachers all received the news and school wasn't canceled the next day, they went right into the classroom, hurting just as bad as the kids, grieving and showing kindness and showing love, unconditional. fourth grader, Grace, that passed was in the room of Mandy Reich. Mandy Reich is the sister of Pat Shockey. Mandy Reich is married to Brody Reich, who is a pastor in West Alex and is also a counselor. Even in the midst of tragedy, God is there. God is there. Brotherly kindness and love. 1 John chapter 2. Are you listening? I'm just about done. 1 John 2, 9 says, He who says he's in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light. There's no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness, does not know what he is doing or going because darkness has blinded his eyes. What are you saying, Brother Greg? I'm saying if you hate people, you better check and see if you're even saved. I'm not saying it's easy, but I'm saying there's a way. And Jesus Christ has made it. Number four, don't live beneath your privilege. Don't live beneath your privilege. Because when you see this, when you look at verse 9, for he who lacks these things, see, he's writing to believers. He who lacks these things, don't live beneath your privilege. Trust Christ. The Bible says in Romans 8, yet in all things we're more than conquerors. Amen? More than conquerors. And the Bible says he's forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Uh, he who lacks these things, listen, don't get spiritual amnesia. 
don't forget what it was like to be lost. You know who I thank God for? I thank God for the, the man who led my Papa Jackson to Christ. Because then my granny and Papa Jackson took my dad to church. And then as a baby, they took me. Don't ever forget what it's like to be lost. We might walk out the doors here in a few minutes, and as soon as you get on the road, somebody cuts you off. That's okay. It's not the end of the world. Show them the characteristics of Christ and love people. And number five, make your calling sure. Make your calling sure. How do you do that? By being faithful and being focused. Being focused on the God-centered life. Is it easy? No, it's never easy. When you gave your life to Christ, Jesus didn't say it was going to be easy. He said, when you wake up in the morning, put on spiritual armor. Get ready for battle. It's coming. Get ready. It's coming. It may come from inside your family. It may come from those closest to you. It may come from the coworker. It may come from the neighbor. It is coming. But you show people what a Christian looks like, and I'll take care of the rest. And Peter opens this second letter with a great challenge, in essence, saying you can do it. You can do it. I want you to stand, every head bowed, every eye closed. Invitation.